Justin McClure, and I'm here today with Will Sloan. And you're listening to the Important Cinema Club. And we're this back, week- baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where have we been, Will? Oh, I mean, you. You've been uh, working on a movie, uh, Impossible Horror, your second uh, feature-length directorial credit, and you've been working other jobs too. Me, I've been living the Playboy lifestyle, you know, uh, waiting for me to call, sitting <laughs> by the phone, <laughs> waiting for Justin to call, reloading the SoundCloud page, waiting for the next episode to L- pop up, listening to all our old episodes, pretending that Justin's in the room with me. <laughs> Didn't you get some texts from some uh, famous friends that gave you props on the last episode? I got texts from. Some some not famous friends of mine who said that they really liked Matthew. They they said that uh, I got several texts. In fact, they said that they thought his Scottish voice was funny. Yes. So I mean, you know, could he replace me at some point? I got to be on my toes today. Yeah, exactly. You got to give it your all because we're talking about Wong Kar Wai. Yeah. What is there even to say about him at this point? You yeah. know, art house darling of the '90s, um, one of former Quentin Tarantino favorite. Yeah, because Quentin Tarantino released Chunking Express, didn't he? That's right. So Chunking Express was the first Wong Kar Wai movie to get a wide theatrical release in North America. And the DVD has Quentin Tarantino's face on the box <laughs> with Quentin Tarantino presents larger than the actual title of the film. And it starts with Quentin Tarantino saying, okay, this is the Rolling Thunder video collection. What is the Rolling Thunder video collection? Well, it's art films and it's exploitation films. You can't open a uh, film textbook without Wong Kar Wai being included in it at some point. Oftentimes the cover will be, you know, that woman from Fallen Angels or... <laughs> Bridget Lin with the gun pulled out yeah, stuff or like that. Tony Leung and Maggie Chung standing by a wall from In the Mood for Love. So because you're a cinema snob... Wong Kar Wai, one of your favorite directors, right? Yes, he was <laughs> monumentally important to me in high school. For me, he was not. Interesting. I, I, well, I'll tell you. What, so we watched, well, I watched In the Mood for Love in 2046, and you watched The Grandmaster. And In the Mood for Love. Um, I would say that, like, you know, I don't want to get too corny here, but watching his movies in high school, like Chunking Express, um, was kind of like what I imagine people in the 60s watching Breathless felt like. 2046 is a movie i saw it in the theater and i was so high on it i had the poster i had the cd soundtrack album watching it again i hadn't seen it in about nine years uh before i watched it last night so it felt weird watching it with all that baggage of it having been one of my very favorite movies in high school i came to uh wong kar wai in a very interesting way which is i really got into hong kong movies when i was a kid and there was this a book by David Bordwell, who is like the film textbook guy, called Planet Hong Kong. And there's a whole chapter on uh, Wong Kar Wai, and I don't even think I had heard um, about him until that point. So I went and I checked out his movies, Chunking Express on VCD, which are not (laughs) DVDs, but are shittier than that. Oh, I always got his movies from those, like, Chinatown DVD shops. Yeah, bootlegs. The kids today don't know about anymore is getting bootleg Chinese movies in Chinatown. Uh, well, you can still get bootleg Chinese movies, but no one really does it anymore. Yeah. And it doesn't have the mystique of like looking through the discs and no. trying to find what you're looking for. Yeah. You know, I mean, kids today, they can just watch anything. Back in our day, we had to like go to shady stores and give money to criminals. <laughs> So that we could maybe get a DVD that didn't work. <laughs> yeah, or didn't and have English those, subtitles. Yeah, those. I watched uh, Jackie Chan's new police story without subtitles. And uh, how much joy did you get out of that? I mean, it was probably better that way, looking back. <laughs> you, could, you could just appreciate the pure cinema of it. I remember getting <laughs> DVDs with, like, automatically translated English subtitles oh, yeah. from the Chinese. Oh, yeah, for so sure. So they start and you're like, oh, these are subtitles. And then you're like, wait. 
No, they're not. This is completely different sometimes from completely different movies. Oftentimes you get the DVD and on the back, I have a copy of Drunken Master 2 where the back has a big description of the plot from Terminator 2. And then <laughs> the cast list underneath is face off. So, and you know, most, most uh, DVDs had something wrong with them like that. So I remember when I saw Chucking Express, I was shocked shocked that it was not like a John Woo film (laughs) or it wasn't like the crazy Hong Kong films that I loved at the time. So I appreciate it, but kind of shuffled it off to the side and didn't really check out Wong Kar Wai's films until I started getting into more of the classic films. So when I got out of high school and was discovering a whole bunch of new stuff. And that's when I probably watched In the Mood for Love for the first time. The, uh, I guess the common rap on Wong Kar Wai at the time and now is that, so Hong Kong is a very commercial film industry. Um, you know, came to international prominence through martial arts movies, gunplay movies, triad gangster movies. Wong Kar Wai was viewed as kind of one of the only really art house filmmakers uh, to emerge from the Hong Kong new wave, Um, which is funny because I think what attracted him to me as a teenager was the fact that, I mean, you can do an intellectual reading of his films, but I think for a teenager who isn't all that smart, like myself, they appeal to you because A, they're foreign, but B, they work on a primarily emotional level. Mm -hmm. We can't forget that Wong Kar Wai, even if he became one of the art house Hong Kong directors, didn't start that way. And that he actually started in the kind of script mill in a bunch of production companies. So you just want to bring this great artist back down to earth. (laughs) Exactly. And he wrote such classics as... Haunted Cop Shop 2, which is about a bunch of police officers fighting some hopping vampires and ends with the lead character peeing into an electric current to complete the connection and he sacrifices his life. Wow, that's beautiful. And a whole bunch of other films like that before finally he got his chance to make his directorial debut, which was kind of a take on a the popular gangster uh, uh, series. It, it Mean Streets. It was a Mean street, Streets yeah. ripoff. And it was called As Tears Go By. Which is his most conventional film, um, but contains many of the uh, Wong Kar Wai touches in embryonic form. The step frame uh, editing, the romantic longing, the use of kind of odd use of uh, American pop songs on Mm. the soundtrack. Um, It's a film that I really enjoy a lot. After that, he made uh, Days of Being Wild. Which I think Days of Being Wild is the movie where his style emerges fully formed. And he made a number of other pictures after that. And for people who are not too familiar with Wong Kar Wai... Why are you listening to this? <laughs> yeah, honestly. I mean, we're we're talking as if they don't it's know like who he is. It's like film 101. We're just like <laughs> introducing it to everybody. He is a filmmaker who seemingly plans nothing and kind of makes his movies piecemeal after the fact. Which is ironic since he came up through the ranks as a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know, maybe that fueled his uh, contempt for screenwriting. Yeah, maybe he Who's worked to say, on it really? so hard. If well, I, where to say? Well, where to say? Yeah, if I had bothered researching at all, I could maybe come up with a real answer, but it doesn't matter. Well, I assume Wong Kar Wai is blind because he always wears those dark sunglasses <laughs> and s- he never takes them off. I saw a picture, uh, somebody showed me a picture of them uh, meeting Wong Kar Wai in a restaurant in Hong Kong. Yeah. Guess what? Didn't have the sunglasses. It's not Wong Kar Wai then. It must be one of his (laughs) multiple doubles roaming the streets. Um, And then he made probably his most famous film, In the Mood for Love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that when people say Wong Kar Wai, usually they think, In the Mood for Love. And maybe Chunking Express. Yeah. And In the Mood for Love, beautiful film. Right, Justin? You love it, don't you, Justin? It's time to drop the hot takes right now. Not a big fan of In the Mood for Love. Okay. Or as I like to call it, why don't they just fuck? (laughs) <laughs> is that is that what you seriously wanted from this movie? I don't know. I wanted something a little bit more emotionally engaging, I guess. Oh, fuck you. No, fuck you, Will. 
You know, you know what? This is what's fueling our reputation as uh, the two dumb bros who talk about <laughs> who talk about world cinema and and vulgarize it. Yeah, like this is maybe the second or third time I watched the movie. I watched it today. Maybe I wasn't in the mood for it, but it literally did nothing for me. Every time I that theme this. song started, I was like, "Ugh!" A beautiful piece of music. Yeah, like first like of all, forty times. First of all, it's only like eighty-five minutes, so it's, let's. It's actually ninety-seven minutes, okay. and I felt every second of it. <laughs> But you know what? I should jump in and say, I really like Chunking Express, and I really love Ashes of Time. Oh, good. Well, Ashes of Time, uh, which, as I'm sure you all know, but we're going to say anyway, is his big uh, martial arts epic. Mm -hmm. And I think it's maybe his least accessible film. Oh, it's so difficult. So Ashes of Time is his um, adaptation of the Eagle Shooting Heroes, Mm -hmm. the famous, well, not famous here, but the famous in China uh, martial arts folk novel. A movie that he famously shot over two years without a script. It took so long to make that he had time to make Chunking Express in a break. And that Jeff Lau, his producer partner, who also uh, directed really famous films like A Chinese Odyssey and brought Stephen Chow to prominence with uh, All for the Winner, had time to make a parody film called The Eagle Shooting Heroes with the exact same cast. And which was released a full year before Ashes of Time came and, out. And made so much money, it actually covered Ashes of Time, because Ashes of Time didn't do so well when it came out as hey, well. Hey, uh, have you seen Eagle Shooting Heroes? Yes, it's very funny. Okay. Yeah, it's very, very funny. But back to In the Mood for Love. Okay. All right, sell it to me, Will. Sell my dumb, like, not understanding brain well, on what I didn't get. Okay, here's, here's the thing about In the Mood for Love. I guess if you just don't respond to it, you just don't respond to it. I mean, his movie are very subjective like mm-hmm. that uh i think what i respond to it to in it is so for those of you who haven't seen it and you've probably seen it uh it's about mr chow and mrs chan whose spouses are having an affair with each other mr chow and mrs chan decide well instead of us retaliating by having an affair with each other we're gonna hang out and we're gonna write a martial arts story together and we're gonna have a lot of uh sad uh takeout noodle uh dinners together and, and unlike dr way in the scripture of no words another hong kong <laughs> film you don't get to see this martial arts novel <laughs> illustrated no. starring jet Li or anything like that no. uh so there there are a lot of scenes of them um clearly wanting to fuck but deciding that they're going to be better than their spouses and, and then they're miserable do it. the end it's the it's the uh hong kong when harry met sally it asked the question can a man be a friend with a woman that's sex getting in the way i wrote in my notes uh the hong kong justin will love this movie <laughs> we will be able to talk about it at length i wrote hong kong's answer to when harry met sally question <laughs> mark <laughs> i think that maybe the thing that really kept me at a distance was that you talked about earlier that it's the emotions that you kind of responded to when you watch Wong Kar Wai films but like nothing kind of um, drew me into this one well, like that, nothing at all that's interesting because me I'm I'm very good at um, burying my emotions and not being in touch with my emotions and I think that's what I respond to if I can get a little if I can get a little real here guys I think that's what I respond to in Wong Kar Wai's movies so many of them are about kind of unrequited love and not acting on the it's 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 not even so much that it's just the it's the characters who aren't even honest with themselves about what their emotions are mm-hmm. uh, i'm the- gonna go see my therapist later <laughs> while i was watching the movie i was like why don't they just get together uh we have a guest in the uh yeah peter peter, peter Kowalski, our friend is in the room and he's just like shrugging or no he's he's looking bewildered at this um i just feel, I just feel like justin's asking why movie? Why aren't you doing the thing that I want? Movie? It's like, yeah. well, yeah. yeah, but if I can't it, respond to it sure. and kind of had an emotional reason of why they're doing it, at one point it's 
you know, the more social norms that are keeping them apart. Like, right. listen, they're going to gossip and stuff like that. And I'm like, it doesn't even look like they have happy lives anyway. Why would they care about well, that? Well, you know, that isn't that... Like, if you don't understand <laughs> that, then what am I even going to say? <laughs> yeah. I mean, first of all... Maybe Justin's just been happy for his whole life and yeah. he just doesn't understand what it's like to be in a no-win situation. Yeah. yeah. Just leave Just leave your husband. He's miserable anyway. Sure. I mean, you, you're, you're always, you know, when you're on the dating scene, you're always sealing the deal. Left, I am. Left first right. date or nothing at all. <laughs> That's Justin the glue way. Justin applies, like, the Shatner from Wrath of Khan logic where, you know, the Kobarashi Maru, there's the no... Well, you, don't, you just don't see no-win situations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't see no win situation. You're just sitting there like, how, how can you guys just fix the problem and move on? But you know what? In the mood for love, very sumptuous motion picture. Well, it's, well uh, let's let's get back on ground where we might agree on. Uh, so visually, it's very beautiful. Yes. Orally, it's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie marked a departure in Wong Kar Wai's style. Before this, his movies had been very kind of uh, frenetic, a lot of fisheye cameras mm-hmm. or a lot of uh, guerrilla shooting in in the streets of Hong Kong. Very energetic, very French New Wave. This one, um, I guess because that style has started to become a little stale and it started to um, become imitated by a lot of other filmmakers. In this one, Wong and his cinematographer Christopher Doyle take on a much more stately tone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's set in 1962 in Hong Kong. Uh, around the time when Wong Kar Wai himself would have been a child. He said that he wanted to kind of recreate the the sounds and the textures of the, the places in Hong Kong he was living at the time. You'll notice in this movie there were a lot of scenes where we kind of were almost like voyeuristically looking at these characters, you know, behind glass or mm-hmm. with, with, with a plant in the way. And he and he said that he wanted to recreate what it was like to be a kid, sort of looking at things from a distance. Hmm. The th- one thing that attracted to me this film is kind of the structure of it and the r- way that it was probably piecemealed together, the way that the story was presented did capture my interest up to a certain point. But like you said, if I can't emotionally engage with it on any level, then obviously there's no way for you to convince me. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so, but uh, you're, you're a real man, not like Mr. Chow. <laughs> Although perhaps you would like uh, Mr. Chow in the sequel, 2046, where he becomes a... Uh, uh, a ladies' a, man. A real ladies' man. So 2046, which I did not watch because I'm like, I don't want to watch a sequel for In the Moon for Love Have today. you seen it, though? No, I have not. Oh, goodness. But I would read about... What the about... fuck is this? <laughs> Wait, you know, you know what? Last week, you gave me such shit for not re-watching Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> But I warned you. I sent you a Facebook message being like, listen, I don't know if I can sit through 2046 today because I'm tired. Yeah, you sent me that Facebook message since 2 p.m. today. <laughs> Super Mario Brothers in 2046, I feel, would make a, for an interesting double bill. Listen. <laughs> they both present some futuristic <laughs> 2046 was, I used to go to a website called Monkey Peaches, which would have right. uh, Hong <laughs> Kong website, Cinema News. Yeah. And 2046 was talked about ad nauseum every day because it took forever to come out. There used to be a joke that 2046 was the year the film was going to be released. Oh, good one. In fact, um, I think the print was delivered to the Cannes Film Festival the same morning that it was going to premiere there. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then the special effects weren't quite done. And he was still like editing it as he was going along. And I think the movie um, definitely uh, displays that. Mm-hmm. It definitely feels like a movie that was cut down from a lot of disparate elements. You know, I'm going to be honest. I watched the first 40 minutes of this movie. 
Didn't like it? No, not much of a fan. I, I quite enjoyed it. it. It's hard for me to quite relate to it in the same way that I did in high school because I think... So, like, it, what attracted uh, you to it in high school? I mean, aside from the emotions that we've already discussed, mm-hmm. I think I liked that it had this big, um, epic career-summing scope to it. So this is the movie where Wong Kar Wai really ties up his Viewisk universe. Yes. Um, because... Uh, <laughs> you called it the Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back of the Wong Kar Wai universe? Right, so um, th- there, there's, there's a loose trilogy that's formed between days of being wild uh, in the mood for love we can't hear you peter you're too far away from the mic you're not on this podcast (laughs) no no come on in you're dead to us to finish the askew universe because that's where like they like you know close up the jay and silent bob strike back was the one that was supposed to to end it supposed to end it and then he did clerks too so he didn't end it (laughs) i mean it could still come back yeah so is it like fast and the furious logic where like a better luck tomorrow no well jay and silent bob is like the last movie in the timeline Maybe. No, I don't no, think so. No, I don't think oh, so. Okay. No, because they have their Jay and Silent Bob money in Clerks 2, yeah. and that's how they buy the... You know what? So Who cares? <laughs> you should come back for our Kevin Smith episode, <laughs> Coming Never. All right, Peter's going away. Bye, Pete! Oh. All right, so this time watching it. Uh, yeah, so uh, the loose uh, chronology of the films, uh, you've got Suli Zen, who in played by Maggie Chung, who in Days of Being Wild is uh, taken advantage of by the womanizing main character becomes a graceful swan in in the mood for love and then in 2046 is forever haunting mr chow mm-hmm. um as this this great love that he lost play play by tony lung which yeah. for some reason we didn't mention the actor's name oh yeah that uh started in the so mood for love. having uh between um in the mood for love and 2046 mr chow has gone from being a meek um cuckolded house husband uh, I don't know if that word's politically correct. <laughs> <laughs> to being uh, a real womanizer. And the movie basically follows uh, four or five of his affairs or near affairs at this hotel in Hong Kong during the riots. Mm-hmm. Although the riots don't really play into it very much. Um, and in the meantime, it keeps cutting back and forth between that and this story that Mr. Chow has created uh, set in a faraway future future megalopolis called 2046, where travelers can go and recover their lost memories. Now, here's one of the things that appealed to me when I was a teenager. 2046 is the last year that Hong Kong is able to maintain its economic independence before it becomes fully integrated in China, mm-hmm. you know, after the handover. So as a teenager, when you're watching this, you're thinking, whoa, that's so deep. Really? Because every single movie uh, uh, in around the 90s, early 2000s, no matter what it was, usually dealt with the Hong Kong handover. Well, in a very oblique way. Yes, like uh, any Troy Hark production would deal with that in some so way. So like in Chunking Express, um, the Takeshi Kaneshiro character uh, keeps collecting... I'm sure you know this. Yeah, the uh, canned pineapples and, and wa- the expiration date. And he want, every day of the month he wants to collect a pineapple, uh, can of pineapples with the same expiration date. And you can read that as being an oblique metaphor for the handover. Or mm-hmm. in Happy Together, uh, Wong Kar Wai's gay romance, which... I like that one too. It's a beautiful film. It, it, it's about a couple who goes to Buenos Aires uh, to work through their relationship and the sense of displacement that they feel is supposed to be a metaphor for the sense of displacement that Hong Kong feels in the lead up to the handover. Maybe the difference between something like In the Mood for Love and Happy Together is Happy Together is very raw, especially the emotions that are on screen, while In the Mood for Love is very oblique. 
and I can respond to Happy Together, but man, ask me to do some heavy lifting and In the Mood for Love, and no thank you. Get a man who can do both. <laughs> Will Sloan. Will Sloan, that's right. <laughs> um, and like I said, just my emotions are just out on my sleeve. And I just, you know, I don't think, I just act. So uh, t- room 2046 is the room in the hotel in In the Mood for Love where Tony Leung and Maggie Chung conducted their non-affair. And then in the movie 2046, Mr. Chow tries to get room 2046 in a hotel, but then is told that, oh, we can't do that, but you can have 2047. Mm -hmm. So he takes that, and then a series of women move into 2046. I I heard somebody uh, very cleverly say at one point that uh, 2046, um, Hong Kong will become a lost state or it will be a state of loss. And Mr. Chow <sighs> is in a state of loss. And also, I uh, I, I, so I'm not, I'm honestly not quite sure, r- right in, I'm not quite sure what the Hong Kong handover metaphor means in relation to Mr. Chow and his affairs. But I think it's interesting and maybe, I, I can definitely see it meaning something. And I've had 10 years to mull over this question, including several years of being obsessed with this movie, and I still don't like know. Like, obsessed with it, you were. Like, you watch it over and over again? Oh, Would yeah. you recommend it to people? Like, you gotta see this movie. I didn't recommend it to a lot of people in high school, because... Um, I, you were better than them. And <laughs> they didn't well, deserve to watch the movie. That listen, how do you recommend this movie to, like, <laughs> a bunch of high schoolers? This movie that's so seeped in, like, knowledge of... Wong Kar Wai's body of work. Mm-hmm. I have no idea because I never had to do it. Anyway, it's a it's a beautiful film. So let's talk yeah. about some fisticuffs. <laughs> so you, you watched The Grandmaster again. So there was a period after 2046, you know... Peter's shaking his head. Very unprofessional, Justin. <laughs> I was kind of hoping that I'd have somebody to have a, be a sounding board with on this 2046, uh, 2046 thing, yeah. But after 2046, uh, which is a movie that I think has been, was quite... Uh, well-received at the time and yep. was greeted as a very important film, but I think it's been forgotten a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think it has, completely. Which is a bit of a shame, I think. Um, or then maybe maybe people just think that there's less there than meets the eye. Who it knows? It feels like Wong Kar Wai, since In the Mood for Love, has been struggling with getting that kind of breakout picture. Because even The Grandmaster, while it probably had the most public awareness of it, wasn't a critical success in the way that I it, it was, he would have wanted. It was a critical success mm-hmm. to to an to a extent, and it was his biggest financial success in China, at least. But right after 2046, he did his English-language debut, the self-parody, My Blueberry Nights. Well, we can't skip what a lot of people skip in Wong Kar Wai's filmography, which is BMW oh, in the um, <laughs> early 2000s got a bunch of short films that were made just to advertise BMW and they got such directors as the 18th Joe Carnahan sure uh, John, John Woo, Woo Ang Lee uh, Tony, Guy, Scott. Tony Scott Guy Ritchie and Wong Kar Wai it's not a very good short but I'm only bringing it up for the weird anecdote that it's the only film that he ever does commentary on oh really on the DVD he does audio commentary on what it. I like about that film is um, it really shows the thin line between Wong Kar Wai's aesthetic and like the aesthetic of a perfume commercial <laughs> yep so you see a uh, god who's the guy in it Clive uh, Owen Clive Owen uh, driving around in a car with moody um, mood music playing uh, while he narrates it in Wong Kar Wai style and it cuts to Mickey Rourke as this um, jilted lover who hires uh, Clive Owen. Clive Owen. And he says something like, Infidelity 
It just rips you up from the inside. Do you know that the cinematographer of the Grand Master is actually mostly a commercial cinematographer who did tons of perfume commercials oh, and actually won awards for them? By the way, did you see My Blueberry Nights? No, I didn't see My Blueberry Nights. I saw it in the theater, went in with rock bottom expectations, and I was enchanted by it. <laughs> Were you? And, you know, I was having a very bad day, and uh, it just took me into Wonkawai land and I'm very afraid to revisit it because I'm certain it would not hold up yeah because that was one that was pretty much shrugged off when it came out my memory of it I mean looking back on it it definitely feels like a Wonkawai self-parody so uh, Jude Law runs this uh, whimsical little pastry shop in Greenwich Village and Nora Jones comes in uh, <laughs> and and Jude Law has this thing <laughs> speaks in heavy-handed Wonkawai metaphors where he says it turns out the blueberry pie is the one pie that doesn't sell out at the end of the day. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. It just means... <laughs> and and it I... will be a blueberry night of some kind. <laughs> and what I love, my favorite part of that movie is um, Nora Jones, after having spent spent a couple hours at uh, the whimsical blueberry pastry shop... She fucks a blueberry pie. <laughs> <laughs> so she she comes in later in the night and she's... Yeah, she's, comes in. She... <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm having this effect on Justin. <laughs> Continue, Will. Uh, she enters, in a non-sexual way, the uh, the pastry shop later at night, and she's bloody and bruised. And Jude Law's like, what, what, what happened? What happened? She said, oh, God, I went on the wrong subway car, and I went through Harlem. <laughs> Which, first of all, that's super funny. Yeah. But secondly, how did she get on the wrong subway car from Greenwich Village to Harlem? <laughs> Like, geographically, it just doesn't make sense. And then she took the subway back down from Harlem. <laughs> so it makes me think that Wong Kar Wai isn't so certain about the geography of New... Like, where was she going? The Bronx? I don't know if I'm so certain <laughs> Which... about your Jude Law impersonation. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. So, The Grandmaster. Did you like it when it came out? Yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I, I liked it a little bit when I saw it, and I liked it a lot more this time. Um, I don't remember what version I saw because there's a U.S. cut that Ramirax made. I watched uh, both versions in the same week, in fact. I watched uh, the Chinese cut and then I went to see the American cut. And I think they're both good. Uh, well, I think that what I respond to in The Grandmaster, and this was a movie that Wong Kar Wai said that he wanted to make for a decade, um, which is, he said it was a biography of Ip Man. Not really. <laughs> Ip Man, the, uh, the Wing Chun master who trained Bruce Lee. Um, it's mostly about a bunch of characters, specifically Zhang Yi's um, uh, martial artist, who's the daughter of a grandmaster. I think her name is Gong something. <laughs> Gonger, I think. And then there's also um, the Splinter, or what the hell's his name? That side character? A Razor. The Razor, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who shows up in only three scenes, and two of them are awesome fight scenes. So that gives the impression of being one of those situations where Wong Kar Wai shot 10 hours of footage, mm -hmm. and uh, he felt bad that he mostly cut out this character, so he left in a token scene. So the film is structurally a mess, and I mean, that doesn't necessarily I, mean that it's bad. I don't know. Um, it just feels a little <laughs> bit weird, because it's a film called The Grandmaster that you feel will stars at man, and he disappears for 45 minutes of the movie. Like, in a stretch. I don't know. I think it makes sense when you see the movie. <clears throat> but go ahead. But um, I really enjoyed it because, you know, for dumb bros like me, filled with fisticuffs, choreographed by Yu Ping. Fisticuffs and the sort of romantic longing. Uh... Yeah, but at least this time it was couched in a kind of emotion that I could relate to. Did you relate to? It's a movie that's very much about the history of China. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it man, you know, famously uh, was very prosperous before the Second World War, lost everything. 
moved to Hong Kong, was separated from his family, and started anew in Hong Kong. So it's a bit of a social history as well. And the character of Ip Man, in classic Wong Kar Wai fashion, even though he fights all the time, the whole point of the movie by the end is that like, by not going forward and trying to move forward, he achieved a kind of peace in his life that the other characters around him feel that they can't get. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I did really react to. Uh, especially there's a revenge storyline. So dummies like me. Yeah, we're right there with sure. it. Your heart is full of anger <laughs> and hate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but other people like didn't respond to it. Like Peter, who's in this room, when I said, I like the Grandmaster, he was like, ugh, what? No. Well, here's my, my only problem with the Grandmaster. And I like the Grandmaster a lot, but my only problem is I worry that Wong Kar Wai's aesthetic is becoming a bit ossified. So in this movie, it feels a little bit like... Um, there's something about it that feels maybe just a hair too slick um, well, and a little feels... bit too much like him imitating himself. I, I think it's still a very beautiful movie, but I think it poses a questionable omen for the future of Wong Kar Wai if he keeps going in this direction. Well, it's interesting comparing the Grandmaster to the other martial arts picture he made, Ashes of Time, where Ashes of Time is very complex and kind of puzzling in the way that it's constructed. To the point that the action scenes choreographed by the master Sammo Hong are indecipherable in the way that they're presented. Right. I, I think Wong Kar Wai is trying to go for something. One of the recurring themes in his movies is memory. Mm-hmm. And I think he's trying to make the martial arts scenes in Ashes of Time look like they're a memory. Mm-hmm. While in uh, The Grand Master, they're presented much more conventionally. Like you could take those action scenes and put them in just a post 2000s action film and you would accept it without any question. Particularly the opening scene, which is a duel in the rain that looks like it comes straight out of the Matrix. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a film that Wong Kar Wai directed and worked on for five years, something ridiculously long. Because I remember when it'd be like Khan and uh, Venice, they'd be like, oh, maybe the Grandmaster's coming this year? We don't know. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I like about the fight scenes is he films them in a slightly different way than you normally get. There's a lot of emphasis on, you know, the hands and, and the, the feet. feet. Yeah. Kind of the, just the tactile a lot of uh, close-ups and slow motion of the impact of things connecting with things. Mm-hmm. So it's like taking those big wides of people trading blows, focusing on the little thing for that importance of the action scene. I could see why people didn't really respond to it when it came out in cinemas, because it's a Wong Kar Wai picture, right? And mm-hmm. he's not following those conventional rules. You know what I love? When it came out in theaters uh, in North America, it, w- it came out as Martin Scorsese and Samuel L. Jackson <laughs> present the Grandmaster. And I look at that and I think... Well, Quentin passed. <laughs> yeah. Did Quentin like see it and say like, not I, for me. It, Samuel L. Jackson? Was, was, yes, he was a he co-present. Was. Martin Scorsese and Samuel L. Jackson. Does present. Wong Kar Wai fucking need this like boost to like help his movie? He's Wong Kar Wai. Well, I mean, this movie was being opened in like a thousand theaters. So and and I'm sorry, but those 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 hicks, those uh, those, <laughs> those people who didn't like In the Mood for Love, <laughs> those, those garbage people who aren't like us, they don't know who Wong Kar Wai is. Do you think Riza was upset that he wasn't asked to present? I could have sworn Riza also presented the Grandmaster. Maybe. Yeah, I think there was like some video of did, him being like, did I, yo, what's up? Did I present it? <laughs> yes, you also presented it. Eli Roth got in there too. <laughs> Can you imagine Eli Roth's Blueberry Nights? Um, so, final words on Wong Kar Wai. I think he's a great filmmaker. Uh, I would say that Nowadays, the one that I would watch most often is Chunking Express. Mm. And we didn't really talk about Chunking Express. Why do you think that's the one that you would watch the most? Uh, it's light for, and fluffy for and not, fun? For non-intellectual reasons. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's just a very beautiful and endlessly enjoyable 
film. And it really conveys Hong Kong. You know? mm-hmm. And I think it's one that um, is very relatable. The thing about In the Mood for Love that I found really, too, is it's so dour. <laughs> like, it's really dour. Ugh. Don't roll your eyes at me. <laughs> Um, Not enough fart jokes. <laughs> you know, I like it when people are hitting the nuts and they go like, oh, and fall over. Yeah. I Give that one the award. I bet in Chunking Express you loved the big Garfield toy that Tony Lung plays with. Yeah, I didn't think of that Stephen Chow movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, Love on Delivery. Great movie. Um, you know what? Yeah, maybe this is just the limitations. I hope that this character I played on this episode who didn't like In the Mood for Love, I'm couching all my bets here, guys. Um, prove that if you love Wong Kar Wai, you are better than I am. I agree. <laughs> you agree? Yeah. Okay. What are we watching next week, Will? Uh, we're going to go back on um, more... We're, 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 easy. We're, easy treat. We're going on e- easy territory for Justin. We're going to watch... <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go to Joe Dante. Yeah. Who I'm sure you like. Uh, nah, he's a little too intellectual for me. <laughs> Are you going to be watching Burying the X? You know? Uh, uh, no, I'm actually going to watch Burying the X because I, I haven't seen it. And I figure na- it's now or never, so... One of the last Anton Yelchin performances, too. Oh, uh, way to bring it down. Yeah, thanks, Peter. So, no, we're going to... We're going to watch his first film, Hollywood Boulevard. Mm -hmm. Which he co-directed with Alan Arkish. And we're going to watch his last big movie, Looney Tunes Back in Action. Yes. Um, I suggested Small Soldiers, but I think Looney Tunes Back in Action, as Will um, kind of pressed for it, is one of the more interesting ones, because I think Joe Dante himself considers it a failure. It's a movie that was apparently very compromised during its making, but... That would surprise me because when I watch it, it feels like a pure Joe Dante film. Mm-hmm. And we're going to revisit both of them and see how they hold up. Maybe we'll commit <laughs> better than In the Mood for Love. Yeah. Maybe we'll end <laughs> with me going, you know what? Maybe I don't like Joe Dante. <laughs> Listen, if we just both agreed on all the directors we talked about, That's true. it would be a boring podcast. That's true. So, my name is And people need to know that I'm the smart one. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, you can go to the, like uh, Matthew said, it's the slobs and the snobs. <laughs> and he pointed to me when he said slobs. Yeah. Maybe you should start wearing sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm just the cool party dude. <laughs> I'm the fun guy. You know, if you want to go be sad with Will and sit on either side of a wall and try, not talking. And try to connect to your emotions that you don't have access to. <laughs> yeah, that's the Will Sloan hour. Yeah. But until then, my name's Justin the Clue. My name's Will Sloan. <laughs> and, and who are you? I'm Peter Kaplowski. Yeah. Who's not supposed to be here. The heart and soul of this episode. <laughs> oh, I'm the producer. I've been managing the levels of the new Actually, the reason, the reason we got Peter to come in is because we love it on podcasts when the producer laughs at a joke <laughs> from the distance. We think, wow, that's amazing. They've got a whole setup. Okay, people are going to think Peter is actually the producer now that's when great. he does not hey, do that. I'm doing, I'm doing one in the board right now, guys. All right, thanks Sounds for listening. Great, by the way. <laughs> Do you remember yeah. when Jang Yimou's film Hero came out and it said, Quentin Tarantino presents? Yes, well... that it really held up to his communist beliefs. <laughs> that movie had been sitting on the shelf for two I'm years so until... Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> until Tarantino... Uh, came up and saved it? Because originally they were going to re-edit it and cut out 30 minutes of it. So, I mean, Quentin Tarantino, we have to thank for <laughs> getting that communist propaganda film in theaters. <laughs> When I watched Hero, though, I never actually... The subtitles were weird on my version of the film, and it didn't actually have that... Like, you know, All Under Heaven is, like, the final... Yes. Mm -hmm. It was, like, Our Land is what he wrote, right? Mm -hmm. But my version always said All Under Heaven, which was, like, a lot more of a spiritual idea, so Mm -hmm. the whole communist vibe actually never 
I never really felt that until I saw the Quentin Tarantino version <laughs> with that Tarantino translation. Put it in. He's Which like, I, listen, this communist message has to be no, clear. I mean, to I ask, and apparently, well, yeah, like the more correct translation is "our land," uh, mm. but "all under heaven" to me sounded like like a much more nice statement because it it did it, 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 it sort of was like there are no borders. We're all mm. under heaven. We're all one. Person. Well, I'm really glad that Quentin Tarantino was able to bring us this kind of cinema because us rubes. Those videos that he made though in front of those tips are incredibly embarrassing. Uh, in like, the Rolling Thunder picture yeah, ones, with the moving, ba- it's got like a moving background. Like he's, yeah, I think he's on a green screen and they got like a moving well, background. So like, the Chunking Express begins with him looking at the camera, pointing at the camera, and going, oh, "All right, you cinephiles." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember <laughs> on his release for Jack Hill's Switchblade Sisters, he does commentary on it with Jack Hill, the director and writer, and Jack Hill was so incensed that he just couldn't get a word in afterwards he's like that Quentin Tarantino guy wouldn't shut up oh my god uh but that that, that video look does remind me of that um that game he did with Steven Spielberg in the <laughs> in director's chair director's chair he, a, a classic it's the game. same era it's the same era when he must have just people would just call on Quentin Tarantino to do stuff and he was like yeah sure I'll do it and so he started in this PC game that uh, Steven Spielberg directed where he plays Jennifer Aniston's <laughs> girlfriend or boyfriend who's on death row. That Steven Spielberg directed. Yeah. <laughs> that that whole, though, that Quentin Tarantino presents phenomenon is a real testament to just like how much cultural cachet he had for a brief well, period. Well, who else does present stuff? Uh, that does presents? Yeah. I mean, I, I can't think of anybody else who really how specializes. Did, also, how did Quentin Tarantino present Hellride? Like, what <laughs> bet did he lose? <laughs> I actually, I actually know. I actually know the story. So he had a friend who knew Larry Bishop. Okay. And and he was like, wait, wait, wait you could call, you could call Larry Bishop right now. And, and so, Larry Bishop being a seventies bike exploitation star, the son of Joey Bishop, um, and director of Mad Dog Time. And <laughs> so he and Tarantino went for a drink, and uh, Tarantino was. Uh, I know this because I watched the DVD extras of this film. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> uh, I've only watched this film in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> so T- Tarantino was asking, "So what are you doing? What are you doing these days?" And and Larry Bishop was going, "Well, I made this movie, uh, Mad Dog Time," and he said, "You know what? It is your destiny to make the ultimate biker film." And so I guess he gave him the money. And I don't know. Hellride is such an amazing film because it stars Larry Bishop, who looks very leathery, kind of like sixty-five-ish. The whole movie is about how Larry Bishop and his biker gang of old people are just so irresistible to like. <laughs> big-breasted women and the cast includes david carradine and michael madsen and there's this um there's this subplot about the young Isn't eric balfour yeah it? okay this is it the young biker eric balfour uh... ever a biker if there was one <laughs> and Skyline then... star himself. i mean he really looks like an it specialist <laughs> <laughs> so when the bikers are all uh riding along on the highway um larry bishop calls up eric balfour to ride next to him and all the rest of the bikers say to him, that's such an honor. <laughs> and and I'm watching this like, how is that? When what world is being able to ride next to fucking Larry Bishop an honor? Maybe it was meant to be like a, like a, a metaphor for his relationship with Tarantino. <laughs> and that Tarantino is the Eric Balfour figure. I mean, if anything, uh, Tarantino is the Larry Bishop figure in this scenario, letting this forgotten exploitation filmmaker... <laughs> ride beside him <laughs> yeah um but like Quentin Tarantino it's weird that he would put his name above those movies because I remember when Hero came out a lot of people were confused and thought he directed that it, he yeah. directed because it, it was yeah. right after Kill Bill so people were assuming mm. but you know what Quentin Tarantino did re-release Iron Monkey 
Yeah. And that was very important for me as a mm-hmm. teenager. When I saw that film, I was like, whoa. Yeah. he uh, Mighty Peking Man was another one that he re-released. Yeah, that uh, King Kong. But that one didn't get a theatrical release. No, it did. Yep. Did it? It did. Yeah, there were prints of it. But who else? Who, how come he, like, has anyone else Martin Scorsese that? does a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Scorsese yeah. does. I guess Sam Jackson is in the business now. <laughs> in the presenting business. Eli Roth, I think, does. Because, I mean, like, I, I can't think. Well, he did Clown, right? He presented Clown. Right? I don't know. David Lynch presented Crumb. When oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. We should get one of these guys to like present our podcast. Like, if you could pick one person, who would it be, Will? Uh, Jerry Lewis. <laughs> Jerry Lewis presents the Important Cinema Club. Yeah. First, he brought you the total filmmaker. Now he brings you the Important Cinema Club. I think before he dies, you just have to get him to record. I'm Jerry Lewis, and you're listening to the Cinema Club, and that would be incredible. I mean, I think your viewership yeah. or your listenership would go up by at least two people. I don't think we ever talked about what <laughs> at least two people. <laughs> what do you think he would think of hearing the episode we recorded on him? I mean, he probably wouldn't like it. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if he's heard it though. Yeah. Like he's been around the block, right? Yeah. Like this is not shocking. He's not going to sit there being like. My God, this is what they actually think about hardly working. Yeah, although uh, um, I do know that when I tried to interview him once a long time ago, um, the only way to reach him was by phone or fax. So <laughs> it's possible that he doesn't have uh, Well, email. this is what you do. You do a John Cusack, you take a big like boom box, stand <laughs> outside his mansion, and you just pipe in the Jerry Lewis episode of Important Cinema Club right into his room. I would not do that. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Will Sloan found dead on Jim Jerry Lewis's stake. <laughs> I mean, if, if you were gonna die, you'd probably want Jerry Lewis to shoot you. No, uh, I would. Uh, if anything, I would love to like have a warm friendship with Jerry Lewis. 